Amen. Well, I want to invite you to turn in your copy of the Word of God to Luke chapter 11. As we now turn the page to a, a new chapter in Luke's Gospel that we have been in for a bit of time now. As you know, if you've been following with us, we are now in the, the latter part of the ministry of Jesus. He is set his gaze on Jerusalem where he will go and be handed over and suffer and die, be resurrected. And we see on these final, uh, this final time leading up to that, uh, Jesus still has much to teach. In fact, we find a, a great amount of the parables in this section of Luke's gospel. And today we find a familiar passage on the Lord's Prayer, which comes in the context of Jesus praying and his disciples asking him when he finishes praying uh, how it is they can know how to pray like he prays. And that is a question that we should all ask if we're a disciple of Jesus this morning. How, how can we pray like Jesus prayed? What, what is the way we should be praying? And so that's what we're going to look at, not just this Lord's Day, but next Lord's Day as well. So as I go through this passage today, if you think to yourself, well, why didn't he talk about this and this and this? Come back next week. I might not talk about it then, but I'll try to get all these things in as we walk through this passage. We're going to focus primarily today on verses 1 through 4, but just so that we can see the context, I'm going to read verses 1 through 13 in Luke chapter 11. So if you're able, I want to invite you to stand out of reverence for God's Word as I read this passage for us. And this is what the Word of God says. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. and Lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impotence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock. And it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks him for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? You then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? 
you will pray with me. Father, help us now to ask you. And help us, Lord, to come to you in, in the pattern in which Jesus taught us, taught his disciples to come to you. And help us to come to you and pray to you, not just in this day, but in these days, in a way that brings glory to your name, that, that sets our gaze on who you are and who you reveal in your word that you are, your, your many attributes. Father, help us to see your goodness and your grace and your mercy and your, your loving kindness and, and all of the things that you reveal to us about yourself in your word as we come to you. And Father, help us then to respond to who you are as we pray, to, to seek your kingdom to come and be built for the kingdom of the enemy to be destroyed. Lord, as we focus on who you are and what you are doing among us, Lord, help us to walk in your ways. Help us to be forgiving to others as you forgive us. Protect us, Lord, from temptation. And in all these things, Lord, help us to know how to pray as we see in your word you give us this pattern. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. In preparation for our time in Luke 11. Today I came across a number of quotes and thoughts on prayer. I want to share one with you this morning. It comes from a, an English pastor, Samuel Chadwick, who ministered around the turn of the 19th century. He said this about prayer. The one concern of the devil is to keep Christians from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, mocks at our wisdom, but trembles when we pray. I thought about that quote quite a bit in preparation for this study because I thought so often in my own life, I don't know how much trembling the enemy's doing. Because this is an area that I come to you today, and not out of have arrived and, and speaking down to you about all the things I know about prayer, but, but I come to this humbly and convicted as I look to God's Word and what He teaches us about prayer, and, and maybe you identify with that. Of all these spiritual disciplines, all the things we're called to do in God's Word, this is one that it seems so many Christians struggle with, and yet the Word of God is clear, we are called to pray. James chapter 5, we're called to pray when we are sick and when we are suffering. 1 Thessalonians 5, we are called to pray without ceasing. And Philippians chapter 4, we're called to pray about everything. And as we pray about everything, we're called to be thankful in all things as we pray, to pray with thanksgiving. Hebrews 4 and 1 John 5 remind us that as we pray, we are to pray with great confidence. And the context of all these commands, including what Jesus puts before us here today, is not if you pray, it is when you pray. The, the biblical assumption is that if we are children of God, bought by the blood of Christ, then we are going to pray. And yet, for so many of us, we struggle to pray. We struggle to commit time in our day 
to pray. In fact, one study I saw this week cited that the average evangelical churchgoer in America prays less than three minutes a day. And if you take out the prayers of blessing over our meals, there's probably not much left of those three minutes. I struggle in this area. The sad reality is for many of us as followers of Christ, we struggle in this area. But what we find today is that the Lord is gracious to us in our struggles. Because Jesus does not come to us in Luke chapter 11 and scold us about prayer or browbeat us about prayer or try to make sure we know how faithless and how prayerless we are before he teaches us about prayer. He simply responds to a question from one of his disciples, probably on behalf of many of his disciples, likely many of whom were struggling in this area. He responds with grace. And so I hope that's how we will receive the Word of God, with grace. <laughs> and not coming to this, this passage as we are tempted to do, feeling guilt and shame and, you know, I, I'm so terrible at prayer and, and I'm convicted at prayer and I, I know I just need to pray more. But I hope that we come to this passage as recipients of that grace that God has for us this morning and, and that we see that the gracious offer of Jesus in teaching us how to pray. And so we're going to look at a few observations. Again, that there is much here to consider. I just want to note as we look at these first four verses that Jesus isn't just teaching us how to pray in verses two through four. I believe he's teaching us how to pray in this entire passage that the illustrations he gives are meant to teach us how to pray. And so we are going to talk a lot more about how we pray and what it looks like in prayer next Lord's Day as we look at those illustrations. But for today, I just want to kind of help perhaps correct our thinking about prayer by making some observations of, from this passage. And we'll begin with the first one that you see before you. I think, one, we should note the pattern of prayer in Jesus's life. And we are reminded of that pattern as we consider what we've covered already in Luke, because Luke's gospel, as well as all the gospels, are, are rich with the prayer life of Jesus. This is not the only time he prayed. In fact, we saw in Luke chapter 3, Jesus praying as he is baptized by John the Baptist. And as Jesus is praying, just following his baptism, in that moment, we see the Holy Spirit like a dove descending on Jesus, and we see the commendation he receives from the Father, the blessing he receives from the Father. Luke chapter 5 shows us the prayer of Jesus and how he would often withdraw to desolate places to pray. And it was often during times when his popularity, when the recognition of who he was and his healing ministry was spreading and people were flocking to him and there was much to do. <laughs> He would pull away from all that activity, and he would go, and he would pray. During one of these times, Luke chapter 6, we see him pulling away to pray on a mountain, and there, as he's praying, he spends, Luke tells us, all night in prayer to God as he is preparing to call the twelve. Luke chapter 9 is a chapter, as we look through it, that was rich with the prayer life of Jesus. We see in Luke chapter 9, the feeding of the 5,000, which of course begins with Jesus praying this prayer of blessing over these fishes and these loaves, and then how God multiplies those 
and does the miraculous. Then just after that, we see Jesus again pulling away to pray before Peter makes his great confession of Christ. And then we see Jesus again pulling away to pray, this time on a mountain where he invites several disciples to come with him. And that, of course, is where the transfiguration takes place. Luke chapter 10, Jesus teaches the disciples the need to go and to preach the gospel to the kingdom. But rather than say, you better get going, you better do all this, he says, first, you need to pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would raise up laborers to go out into his harvest. If you take a pen and you prick the gospels, they bleed with the prayers of Jesus. And we see an example of one of those now in Luke chapter 11, where the context begins with, now Jesus was praying. We see a clear pattern in the ministry of our Lord Jesus, and that alone should remind us of our desperate need to pray often and to pray consistently, because that's what we see in the life of our Lord. And yet, what Luke also helps us to see is that as Jesus is praying, often times the disciples are not. As we look at the other gospel accounts, as we put all these things together, you think about all these times we see Jesus withdrawing to pray, or Jesus praying even in the midst of the disciples, the gospels note what the disciples are doing. There's times, like an opportunity, a, a case when they're in a boat and there's a storm and Jesus isn't with them in the boat yet. Jesus is praying that they're fretting and they're worried and they're anxious. And that's how we see the disciples often as Jesus prays, fretting and worried and anxious. There are other times when Jesus is praying, he invites the disciples to pray with him, but we find them sleeping. And there are other times, like the one we have here, where it seems the context Luke gives us is that Jesus is praying, and the disciples are waiting on him as he is praying because they have a question for him. And so they're literally waiting for Jesus to finish so they can ask him the question. And so the, the picture here is that there are disciples. Remember at this point, there are hundreds of disciples and that there are many of them and they're with Jesus in his ministry. He is praying. They're over here talking. Is he done yet? Okay, who's going to ask him? You ask. No, you ask. No, you ask. That they're just waiting for him to finish praying so they can ask him questions about what? About prayer. And so as you, you see this pattern, not just in Jesus, but in the disciples, perhaps that brings a bit of comfort to you. Because perhaps rather than committing your time to pray, you find yourself anxious and worried and fretting. Or perhaps during the time that you've committed to pray, you find yourself falling asleep. <laughs> or perhaps even as you're called to pray and we are called to pray, you find yourself rather than praying, just your mind's racing and you've just got questions and you start out praying to God, but as you're praying to God, your mind wonders and then there's just these questions and there's to-do lists and all of these things that are running through your mind. So that you're not actually praying anymore, you're just thinking. Well, God's Word comforts us in all these situations because we see here, as Luke tells us in verse 1, as Jesus was praying in a certain place and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, Teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. But we find it was commonplace among rabbis in Jesus' day that rabbis would teach their disciples, their learners, 
how to pray. They would often give them a, a model of prayer or a specific prayer to pray. And it seems here, the indication from Luke is John the Baptist had done this with his disciples. And while we don't have that prayer or those prayers recorded in the Gospels, we know here that they did that. And so now the disciples of Jesus are going to Jesus, and they recognized in Jesus one who prays often and prays consistently and prays with the crowds and prays by himself. And they, they've seen this, and again, they literally are watching him pray as they are wondering how it is they are to pray. And so they ask him, and notice how gracious he is in responding. When you pray. Just, just think about this for a moment. Perhaps some of you have found yourself in a situation where you have told someone something, perhaps repeatedly, only to have them come to you and ask a question as if you never told them these things. If you're a parent, you've had this experience. <laughs> you've told your child something, and then they come to you as if you've never, they've never heard of these things before. And then you're going back through it repeatedly. If you're a teacher, you certainly know this experience. You, you give the syllabus. You give the instructions. You go to great lengths. You send the emails. You do all these things only to have the child or the parent ask you the very things you've already told them about. And, of course, we know what it is to be on the other side of that as well. <laughs> ah, I know they told me this, but I wasn't listening. And Maybe there's some other way I can figure it out. And then eventually we go to them and ask. Well, think about the context here. Now, again, Luke doesn't always organize all his material in chronological order, but, but I think the context here does suggest that this is in that timeline of later in the ministry of Jesus. And so at this point, Jesus has spent a year and a half, two years, teaching the crowd, the multitudes, and the disciples. And there are disciples that have joined along the way. So the indication isn't that every disciple of Jesus was there at his baptism and they followed the whole time. They, they've come along, but they've been listening and they've been supposedly learning. And we know that Jesus not only was praying, but that Jesus likely was teaching them about prayer during these times. For example, we know that early in the ministry of Jesus, Matthew tells us that early on in the timeline, when he's given the Sermon on the Mount, he teaches about prayer. In fact, he gives model of prayer in the Lord's Prayer, very similar to the Lord's Prayer we see here. So much so that we're tempted when we come to Luke 11 and say, well, that, that's just a, a condensed version of Matthew 6. Luke just took what he was taught from eyewitness testimony about what Jesus taught at the Sermon on the Mount. He's condensed it and he's given us this prayer. But I don't think that's the case because if you note the context of Matthew 6 and Luke 11, they're very different contexts. I mean, Matthew 6, Jesus is clearly teaching the crowds in the Sermon on the Mount. And specifically in that prayer, he is noting the Pharisees, and he's noting their attitudes and practices of prayer. He's teaching in contrast to the Pharisees about prayer, which is a very different context than what we have here. Here he is clearly praying. The disciples are there. They are watching him pray, and then they ask this question about prayer. But it shouldn't surprise us that Jesus, and the pattern he teaches here, being similar to the pattern he teaches in Matthew 6, he likely taught them often about prayer. And I think that also helps us to understand that what Jesus is teaching the disciples is a pattern for prayer, not a rote prayer they should memorize and then just say over and over and over again. Again, he's teaching them how to pray, not word for word verbatim, what to pray. And I think he's done this many times so that Jesus 
is in a place where when the disciples come to him and say, Lord, teach us to pray, he certainly could have said, come on, guys. <laughs> I mean, haven't y'all listened to a word I've said? Come on, man. I, you just asked me this question last week. But notice Jesus here doesn't get frustrated like a mother or father repeating instructions to a child. Jesus is not the teacher scratching their head, reading the parents' email at 11 o'clock on a Sunday night going, come on, I covered this over and over and over again. Jesus is gracious. And that's a good word for us today. Because if you find yourself, like so many of us find ourselves, struggling in this area of prayer, note the heart of Jesus here. He just wants to teach us how to pray. Jesus is not lording over us today and scolding us today and browbeating us today. He, he is inviting us in to learn as his disciples how to pray. And, and perhaps you have read this passage before and heard sermons on this passage before. Perhaps back home you have a, a book on prayer or a book on the Lord's Prayer. Or like me, in your library you have many books and many volumes on this very thing. Perhaps you find yourself, like so many of us find ourselves, like what Pastor Jacob told us last week, needing to be reminded more often than we need to be taught. And Jesus is gracious to give this reminder. And he gives it to us, I believe, and to the disciples, I believe, in two ways. One, through noting the pattern of prayer in his own life. And two, by noting that the, the model of prayer, the, the, the pattern of prayer that he gives us in this actual Lord's Prayer, which brings us to that second observation. We note here, we observe here, the model of prayer that Jesus teaches us. Now again, I, I will not be exhaustive in what I talk about today about the Lord's Prayer. There, there is so much here to talk about, but I just want to highlight a few things that I think we see in this pattern, in this, this model. Verse 2, he says to them, When you pray, say. That, that literally could be translated, Whenever you are praying, again, the assumption from our Lord Jesus is that we are going to pray, and when we pray, we should pray this way. And some of you may say, yeah, and he says say, so we should say exactly what he says. But that word say essentially is similar to what we see in Matthew 6. He's saying say something like this to tell these things. Here's a pattern that Jesus is setting before us. And that's important for us to note. because. Oftentimes, when we come to the Lord's Prayer, we don't come to it as a pattern or a model for prayer. We come to it as a word-for-word, -word, memorized, verbatim prayer that we then should pray. And, and that's not a bad thing. You should memorize the Lord's Prayer. You should memorize lots of Scripture. Because that Scripture puts before us how we are biblically to pray and puts that model and that pattern and embeds it in our hearts and minds. But if we're not careful... The Lord's Prayer becomes this, this rote memory that we then pray without even considering what we're praying. And, and you may have had that experience as a child, as an adult, where you, you have a memorized prayer that you just say word for word verbatim without actually stopping and considering what it is you were actually praying. I remember as a child, I had an extended family member, and when we would have family gatherings, this particular extended family member would always pray over the meal, and their prayer was something like this. Dear God, I 
Now, I, I was not a part of a Pentecostal family. This was not speaking in tongues, to my knowledge. I believe what this was, was at some point there was a prayer that could be understood, but it was prayed so many times by this particular person that then that sentence became one long, drawn-out, multiple-syllable word. <laughs> because it was just this rote memory. And if we're not careful, even if our words are understandable, this is kind of how prayer can be for us. And the Lord's Prayer can be for us. But we need to stop and consider, what is it that Jesus is telling us when he tells us to pray? And I do want to note, he tells us to pray. When you pray, the you is plural. That This is corporate prayer. This is given to us as disciples. Even this disciple who goes to him, ask him what? Lord, teach me? No. Lord, teach us. Prayer is a gift God has given to the church today because you may have come into the church today from a very different part of the spectrum than your neighbor came into church today. One of you has come in off a week of blessing. The other has come in off a week of suffering. We come in from so many different places and perspectives, but God brings us together through the gospel of our Lord Jesus and reminds us of the goodness of God and the gospel of Christ even as we pray together. We are called to do that very thing. And here, notice it throughout it. When you pray, give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. That this is not a put this on your wall, in your prayer closet. This is your private prayer to God, never to be uttered in front of another person. You know, we are called to come together and to pray together. And that is the pattern that Jesus gives us here and gives the disciples here. And so what should we pray? <laughs> well, there, there are many, many observations that can be made about this prayer. And again, for the sake of time today, I'm going to note just three. I'll put them there in your outline, and I'm not going to exhaustively cover each of these. But, but this is in an effort to, to, to help us just kind of draw out what we see in this pattern. Because again, it, it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing to memorize God's Word, memorize the Lord's Prayer. But, but what we need to recognize is the, the pattern. When you pray, here's the way in which you are to pray. And one of the ways we should pray, and that I believe Jesus here patterns for us, is that we should pray Word-centered prayers. Meaning that when we pray to God, we are responding to what God has already said to us. And so perhaps you have found yourself, as I have found myself at times, wondering how I should pray. Almost being at a loss for words in prayer. I remember as a fairly new believer, having learned some of these memorized prayers growing up, and being introduced into the evangelical Christian church where we would gather for prayer times and gather for prayer meetings. And I remember being invited to these things and wondering, what in the world are we going to pray? I mean, I know this prayer, and I know this prayer, and I know this prayer. But what all are we going to pray about? And God has given us a manual on prayer in His Word. And I believe what God has said to us is, is your prayer is a response to, to, to my word. And so God has spoken to us already. We are responding to him as we pray. Meaning that as we look at the Lord's Prayer, what we see here, I believe, is a response of Jesus, the Son of God, to God the Father, based on what God has already revealed about himself in his word. 
So for example, verse 2, Jesus prays, teaches us to pray, Father, hallowed be your name. Now that word hallowed isn't one we use so much today, and perhaps you already know that that's referring to the, the holiness of God. There, he's referring here to the, to the goodness and the awesomeness of God. And essentially what Jesus is saying is that as we pray, we begin our prayer by recognizing who God is and the many attributes of God. Well, where do we learn these things? In fact, where do we even learn to approach God as Father? You open up the Bible. And in this context, as Jesus is teaching disciples who are very familiar with their Hebrew Bible, with the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, is rich with references to God as Father, because God's people, the Israelites, understood God as Father, and that He had adopted them as sons and daughters, and He had this covenant relationship with them through which they had been brought into it, not by their works, not by their deeds, but by the goodness and the grace and the holiness and the righteousness and the justice of God. And friends, that's exactly the way you've been brought into a right relationship with him as well. Because now we, Jew and Gentile, have been brought in as sons and daughters of the living God. He is our Father. Where do we learn this? We learn this from God's Word. Hallowed be your name. Where do we learn about these attributes of God and the holiness of God and the righteousness of God? We learn about opening up the Word from him. These things don't come natural to us. Because what is natural to us, and perhaps you have recognized this, as I have in my prayer life, what comes natural to us in our prayers when we don't pray according to the Word, and we just kind of sit down and we just start throwing out things to God, is we tend to lessen who God is and elevate who we are. Because by nature, we tend to pray very man-centered and other-centered prayers. And we come to God in prayer like we go to the grocery store with a list. Here's all the things I need. So, so God, here, here's the list. And, and if we're not careful, we do that in a way where we don't revere the name of God, where, where we don't consider the holiness of God, where we don't meditate on the goodness of God and the grace of God and the mercy of God and the forgiveness of God, where we simply are thinking about ourselves and others. And who do I need to give this? Oh, I need to give this list to God. Now, Jesus says, when we pray, we start by revering the name of God. We, we literally are, are making holy and sanctifying the name of God as we pray. And so we, we start with our Bibles open, and we read about who God is. And then in prayer, we are, we are responding to who God is. And we see that in the prayer of our Lord Jesus. We see this word-centered pattern throughout it. Verse 2, he prays, your kingdom come. Where do we see that? Where, where do we learn about the kingdom of God? We learn about it throughout God's word. In fact, the only place we know of the kingdom of God is in God's Word. Because as we look around the world today, what do we see so often? We don't see the kingdom of God. We see the kingdom of Satan and the kingdom of the enemy. We see a kingdom where wickedness and evil abound. So much so that we don't even want to turn the news on. We are surrounded by wickedness and darkness in the kingdom of the enemy. Therefore, we need to pray for what? For God's kingdom to come. 
for goodness and light and mercy and justice to overwhelm this wicked world we live in. We learn of those things through the word of God. He says, verse 3, give us each day our daily bread. Where do we see a picture of God giving his people bread on a daily basis? And we open up the word and we see the Exodus. And in the Exodus, what do we see? God delivering his people out of a kingdom of darkness, taking them to a kingdom of light, to the promised land. And along the way, he provides them in what means through daily manna that he rains from heaven. And in the same way, friends, he provides for us today. How do we walk through this wicked world? How, how do we make it through days when we are surrounded by suffering and sickness and darkness and wickedness? We go to the Lord and we ask Him that He might give us not what we need tomorrow, not what we need the next day, or the next month, and the next year. Lord, today provides for me. Because apart from God's provision, we will not make it through it. We learn these things in the Word of God, verse 4, and forgive us our sins. Where do we learn about sin? Where are we taught even what sin is? How do we recognize sin in our own lives? We recognize it by opening up the Word of God. Because apart from the Word of God, we feel we're doing pretty well. And oftentimes, we don't call sin, sin. In fact, the Scripture warns us against this very thing. To be careful that we don't call darkness light that we don't call wickedness good. And how do we recognize that which is sin in our lives? We recognize it through the conviction of the Holy Spirit with our Bibles open as we learn what it is to be righteous and to be holy and to walk in His ways. To walk according to the Word and not according to the flesh. On and on and on. As you study and dive into the Lord's Prayer, you see that this is a prayer in response to the Word of God. Therefore, when we pray, we should pray in response to the Word of God. So if you are struggling with how to pray, let me suggest for you this. Open up your Bible. It's a big Bible. Where should I open it? You could open it literally anywhere. But if you want a suggestion, open up the Psalms. Go home tonight and open up Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk according to the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. Father, there's much to pray there, isn't there? We are surrounded by the counsel of the wicked. Lord, help me to recognize the counsel of the wicked. Help me not to walk in the ways of the world, which are so overwhelming that everybody around me is walking in these ways. And help me to recognize when I'm standing right in the path of sinners. And Father, keep me from ever being in a seat of a scoffer who would mock you and scold you and tell you, the potter, how things are supposed to work. We pray in response to the Word of God, Word-centered prayers. Not just that, we also see a God-exalting prayer here. Again, our nature is to pray self-centered prayers or even other-centered prayers to go to God with a list. Here's what I need. Here's what they need. But Jesus says here, when we start our prayer, yes, come with your needs, but let's begin with recognizing who God is. And let's consider the kingdom of God and what it means for His kingdom to grow. And then that puts things in perspective for us. Because then we recognize some of our needs 
might not align very well with what God's Word says and what God's revealed His Word, His will to be. And then some of our needs, they, they line up perfectly with those things. And so we make our requests known to God. We, we exalt God. We lift high the name of God as we pray. And then you see that third point, we, we focus on the kingdom of God. Kingdom-focused prayers. Jesus here is praying for the kingdom to come. We'll talk about this more next Lord's Day and what, what that looks like for the kingdom of God to come. Matthew tells us on earth as it is in heaven. But, but again, the focus is on God's kingdom. And for God's kingdom to grow, then the gospel needs to go forward. And if you squeeze the Lord's Prayer, gospel comes out. Because what is the gospel? God is holy and God is righteous. Hallowed be your name. We are sinful and we are fallen. Forgive us of our sins. Protect us from temptation. How can we sinful people come in the presence of a holy God? It is only through our Redeemer, our Mediator, our Messiah, Jesus Christ, who is the very one going before the Father in this moment praying for God. And in this model, you'll notice he's teaching us to pray things that he never needed to pray for. Jesus never needed to pray for forgiveness because he was sinless. Truly God and truly man. Every day he walked on our earth, he walked in a sinless death so that he might go to the cross and die in our place who are not who rightly deserve the cross who rightly deserve death and condemnation, so that we might be brought into a right relationship with God. Where do we learn these things? From God's Word, from His kingdom. And we see that throughout the Lord's Prayer. And so as we come to God in prayer, we come to the Father in the name of the Son, empowered by the Holy Spirit. What does that look like in our day-to-day -day lives? We'll continue to look at that next Lord's Day. But for now, I want to leave you with this, a poem. As I think about how these things practically look in our lives, I was reminded this week of the story of a man that you, you may not know his name, although many of you know his poem. His name was Joseph Scriven. He was born in the early 1800s in Ireland to a family of great means. He had a a privileged childhood. He was given the best education. He was given all that his family could afford to give, and that was much. He went on to be educated at the university there. He met the love of his life. He prepared for a, a pleasant life, a blessed life. But on the eve of his marriage, his fiance was crossing a bridge on horseback. He was on the other side of the bridge awaiting her, the horse her, she fell from the bridge and fell to her death. He was grief-stricken and heartbroken, so much so that he left his homeland of Ireland. He eventually landed in Canada, where he wandered for years, and then eventually landed in Ontario, began to put his life back together. Eventually, over years, he found love again. He found what he thought would be a life of blessing again, but tragedy came again as his fiance fell ill. They had to postpone the wedding. She never got better. She eventually died. And so now, heartbroken and grief-stricken, Joseph gave up on the pursuit of love and what he perceived to be happiness. But in that, 
God was ever present in his life and drew him in. He dedicated his life to God. He had become a Christian at a young age, but now committed his life fully and wholly to the Lord and to his service. In fact, he gave up and abandoned all worldly things, all wealth. He spent the remainder of his days ministering to the poor and the sick and the grief-stricken and the elderly and had very little. Whenever he had anything, he just turned around and gave it to someone else, so much so that later in his life, when he received a letter from Ireland that his mother had fallen gravely ill, he could not afford to travel to see her, but he would write her. And on one occasion, he shared with her a poem that the Lord had put on his heart in the midst of his devastation and his suffering, the need that he had and that we all have to pray. In fact, he said we need to go to God with everything when we pray. This was what he wrote to her. Mother, what a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness, so take it to the Lord in prayer. Are we weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? Precious Savior, still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do thy friends despise, forsake thee? Take it to the Lord in prayer. And in his arms he'll take and shield thee. And thou wilt find a solace there. The prayer of a grief-stricken and devastated soul who learned what it was to go to the Lord in prayer. And hopefully today we might learn these same things. So if you would stand together with me as I pray to the Lord now and as we prepare to respond to his word.